Our scripture is a beloved passage for all Christians. It may have been a hymn that the early church sang or recited when they gathered together. These are words of understanding and honoring our Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. As we take a few moments in scripture before communion, we acknowledge the presence of God's Spirit with us. Every time we open the Bible, we are on holy ground. So let us take a moment in prayer as we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we think on these truths, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to hear the message you have for us. As we draw close to your cross, remind us, Jesus, of your great love and mercy for each person. Amen. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago about the cute things our kids used to say when they were quite small. We laughed over what they used to want to be when they grew up because when children are asked this question, the answers are usually a combination of the ordinary and the ridiculous. We may hear an astronaut and a teacher alongside a firefighter and a jelly bean maker and a limousine driver and a ninja chef and a dog walker and a princess. It's fun to see how our kids value the world around them as they grow. Now, some experts are saying that we should stop asking that question so much because it isn't helpful for their development. For one thing, it teaches children to define themselves in terms of work. They also say that asking the question sets kids up to think that there is only one thing that they can do or will do. And it puts an expectation out there that once they figure out what the job is, that they're going to be blissfully happy and fulfilled. Now we hear the wisdom of this caution when we get in our 20s and feel the pressure of this conversation. Then we realize there's more to us than what we do for a living. God has plans for who he wants us to be, what he wants our heart to be, and often his plans involve a more circuitous route for all we will be and do in him. So instead of that question, another one kids might ask is, who do you want to be like when you grow up? All of us have people who have influenced us because they were inspirational or because of their kindness to us. The role that healthy, loving adults play in the lives of young people can never be overstated. Children and teenagers emulate those around them all the time. They are watching who it is they're supposed to be, as well as who it is that they don't want to be as they figure out what their life is going to look like. So we should ask ourselves if we are being models of love and integrity that we would want the children in our lives to become like. In the early 15th century, one of the most influential Christian books of all time was written called The Imitation of Christ. The author was listed as anonymous, but Thomas Akempis is generally accepted as the writer. 
It's a devotional reflection that was designed to help the church return to the practice that had been lost, the practice of modeling one's life after the character and actions of Jesus. Akempis describes one of the highest attitudes we can have, and this quote sounds like it comes straight out of Philippians. Quote, to account nothing of oneself and to think always kindly and highly of others, that is great and perfect wisdom. End quote. Like last week, we are talking again about attitude. How the mindset we have matters just as much as how it is that we go about our lives our attitude is evident to everyone. And of course, nothing is hidden at all from God. He himself knows everything that's in our hearts. Choosing to have a mindset like Christ takes discipline. Imitating him doesn't just happen. It requires not only that we are aware of our tendencies and our brokenness, our negativity and hate, but also that we're willing to submit to God for his idea of how we should be. Make no mistake, the attitudes that we carry with us impacts everything we do. Having a, an outlook of vengeance or judgment or selfishness is like carrying around a heavy backpack with us wherever we go. It weighs on us. It affects our posture and saps our energy. It gets in the way of our relationships, and the witness of Christ is harmed. That is why Paul tells the church something radical. Your mind should be the same as Jesus. See how the Lord acted while he was on earth? That same Jesus lives within you and can help with the disunity you are experiencing with the people around you. As I read these words right now, I invite you to allow them to penetrate your soul deeply. While we're going to unpack some of their meaning, this part of Paul's letter is meant to be absorbed straight into our souls without much commentary. First, I mean Philippians 2, First Philippians, there's no first Philippians. Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. As you hear these words, I invite you to take a moment in silence to listen just for that first 
that first thought of what it is that God is saying to you through them. Paul is talking to the church, encouraging them to think about who it is that they are imitating. These are rich words in English. They are even more rich in Greek. And I encourage you, if you have time this week, to do a word study about everything that's going on here. Paul is saying to them, in action and in speech, and behavior. Who do you look like? He is encouraging the church to choose Jesus as the model for who they are. Now these words speak confidently for themselves, but I want to highlight just a few truths that we see. What is the attitude that Paul wants us to have that was so evident in Christ? Well, first he says that Jesus is God and that has never changed. Jesus lives in majesty and splendor, but he didn't think about his divine status as something to be exploited. Paul is saying that the treasure of being equal with God was not something that Jesus jealously held on to for his benefit. We get something good and we jealously want to hold on to it. We don't want to share it. Jesus wasn't like that. He didn't cling to the advantage that came from being God. He didn't just use his power for himself. He could have done that. But purposely, he decided to use what he had, set aside his own interests, and freely give for a greater purpose. Paul also says that Jesus emptied himself which means he gave up his glory to become human. And Paul defines this not just as being what Jesus gave up, but also what Jesus took on. Jesus went from the highest point of God over all to the lowest, taking the form of a slave on earth. We know that Jesus lived in poverty. He lived without a home. He was a refugee. He, take, he fully takes on the flesh of humanity while still being equal with God. And if that isn't humbling enough, Jesus becomes obedient to all things. Imagine Jesus, God, becomes obedient on earth, obedient to the point of death on the cross. His goal was not to dominate, but to serve, not to get his own way, but to glorify the Father. And his death on the cross is the only way, the only way that we ourselves can be cleansed from sin, the only way to redeem all of creation and all of the world and the brokenness that we live in, all of the shame, everything that ultimately is going to cause destruction in our lives. Now, this might have been hard for the Philippian church to hear because they're Roman citizens and they value that. They enjoy all of the rights of the empire, meaning that they are exempt from crucifixion. Yet the Lord they followed, the one that they chose to believe in, the one that was over Caesar and every other human was killed on a cross. 
willingly, voluntarily out of love. Paul says that God responds to Jesus' sacrifice in two ways. He exalts him, and then he gives him the name that is above all names. Jesus is Lord of all. Lord means master and owner of all of life. It means being completely worthy of all praise. One day, Paul says, everyone is going to recognize and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And these four words were believed to be the first creed of the Christian church that was recited, Jesus Christ is Lord. When seen face to face, the only response that we and everyone on earth, the ones who have gone before us, the ones who are still here, the only response is going to be that we're going to fall down on our knees and worship. We can't even imagine how great he is. So we now come to communion, and there are a few different avenues we can take to get to the table of the Lord from this scripture. One is to simply approach the throne of Christ in awe and wonder, grateful for the sovereign king who loves us fiercely and without thought for himself. May our pride and our rebellion vanish in his presence as we see his great love and majesty and truth. Another avenue might be to do what Paul says and to consider our attitudes. How are you doing imitating Christ. What help would you need to have from him? The help that he so wants to give you as you consider those pernicious attitudes that are so hard and sometimes impossible for us to get rid of on our own. An affirming path you might take is to have the Lord show you in this time of receiving the bread and the wine how you are imitating him well, the ways that he knows you are like him. You might experience his delight. A difficult avenue is to choose what it is that he wants us to give up. Jesus is the living God. We are in relationship with him, and he points out those things in our lives that are not helpful, that are hurtful, grieve, his heart, our will, our pride, our fear, our judgments. A different avenue is in our shared lives with others. In our relationships, we're, we are supposed to be givers rather than takers. We are to serve instead of expecting to be served. We are to choose obedience over disobedience. These inspired words can help us come to the end of ourselves. Our lives are sometimes littered with disregarding God's holiness and grace. We advance ourselves and we compete against one another as if getting the most out of this life is the prize. We put our identity in so many different earthly ideals, yet here is Paul saying Christ is the exalted one, the great Lord over all who longs for us to recognize and accept the life 
he took great, great pains for us to have. Christ is above all, and we join. We join in the worship of the one who changes lives and brings miracles and is helping us get to the end of his, history with great resolution. Let us come to the Lord's table to lift him up in our lives, to thank God for the gift of his son, to confess our sins as we submit in a heart posture of great thanks, to remember, Jesus tells us, to remember him by taking communion. We remember his sacrifice offered for all that's gone wrong, the brokenness of the whole world. Let us proclaim the Lordship of Christ and glorify God, the Father, as we partake of the most important symbol in our faith. And let us affirm the answer to Paul's question. Who do you want to be like as you continue to grow up? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.